talking about uh, going over the book of Revelation on uh, uh, the second and third Wednesdays of the month. So we're doing that again tonight, and uh, we're picking up right where we left off. And so uh, we've been going verse by verse through uh, the book of Revelation. We've covered uh, the first three chapters. So we're going we're gonna to go from there and, and start on chapter 4 tonight. And uh, I guess you realize Jesus' coming could be very soon. And the book of Revelation is all about, the, uh, all about what, what the Bible says the world will be like when Jesus comes back. In fact, the word revelation is the, is the Greek word apocalypsis where we get the word apocalypse. And it really means an unveiling. And, and God in his grace unveiled the future 2,000 years ago to the Apostle John on, a, on an island in the Aegean Sea there in the Middle East. And uh, it's just really amazing that we have this, uh, this part of the Word of God that we can share together. And so uh, we're going to start covering again tonight. I want to start with a, a verse I came across years ago. J.B. Phillips uh, translated the Bible back in the 50s. And I love this translation of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And it says this, For God has allowed us to know the secret of His plan. And it is this, he purposed long ago in his sovereign will that all human history should be consummated in Christ, that everything that exists in heaven and earth should find its perfection and fulfillment in him. Somebody said that history is his story. So, so you know, uh, it used to be we had B.C. and A.D., and it's before Christ and then after his death, uh, Anno Domina. And uh, so, nonetheless, history revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, uh, we've covered the first three chapters of the book of Revelation in the past lessons. And all of that's on our website, the MP3s, the MP4s, the video, audio, also the the, uh, the um, uh, notes are there as well. So we're going to keep moving along. And, you know, it's really kind of an uncanny thing that I'm even talking about this tonight. I, I just, for some reason, something inside of me, I just have a feeling that perhaps this thing that's going on with the coronavirus and how we're having to deal with it, it may be like a dry run of things that are to come. I, you know, if you know anything about the Bible and what Jesus said about uh, his return, what the Apostle Paul said about uh, the return of Christ, what Peter said about the return of Christ and what was revealed to John in the book of Revelation. I mean, I mean, th this is small stuff compared to what's coming. So, uh, but we don't have to be afraid about it. God has revealed it so that we can be aware. And he's going to use the church in the days to come just before he takes us out in the rapture to, to bless a lot of people. How many know that God loves people? And the number, his number one design today is bring people to the Savior. So, you know, me and you, all of us know people that, that don't know the Lord. And, you know, they're dealing with the tough things that life brings Today, they're, they're, they're dealing with it alone. And how many know we can minister life? So let this be an encouragement to you that, you know, God knows how these things are going to come to pass. He knows how, how this whole scheme is going to wrap up. And we can be encouraged that regardless of what happens, our Heavenly Father watches over us. Do you all think that's good news? I mean, I don't know about you. It keeps me stirred up. So, you know, I can't be afraid. I could be. I refuse to yield to fear because I know my Father's with me. And I was a kid. You know, I, I, I thought that, you know, I read about all these little comic book guys, you know. You got Spider-Man and what's the guy that stretched? I forgot his name. What was his name? 
Anyway, all these, all the, all these superhuman guys. And, and, you know, I'd read my little comic books, and then I'd be working and doing stuff around the house. And, and then there was my dad. And, and for me, as a child, I'm talking about, you know, I was five years old, six years old, seven years old. There was nobody like my dad because my dad could do anything. My dad was big. My dad was strong. My dad could keep me safe. I mean, he watched over me. He was going to provide for me. So in my little mind as a boy, I thought, you know, Regardless of what happens, my daddy's going to take care of it. Somebody turns, tries to come and hurt my family or me, my daddy's going to take care of it. You know, somebody, if I have a need, if I need some, if I need some finances, if I need something to eat, if I need some extra clothes, another shirt, another pair of pants, some shoes, my daddy's going to take care of it. Your father is going to take care of you today. See, that's how I think. So I'm kind of excited about that. Getting back to the subject, however, here. Revelation chapter 4 is where we're at tonight. So if you haven't listened, we, we went all the way through verse by verse, Revelation chapter 1, and then Revelation chapters 2 and 3, uh, the seven churches to the, uh, to the, um, the letters to the churches in, in uh, Asia Minor that, Je- that Jesus uh, spoke to John about. Uh, we went through all of that uh, uh, letter by letter, church by church, and they have significant things that Jesus had significant things to say to the church today. The challenges they faced 2,000 years ago, the same challenges that we face today. So if you haven't listened to that, please, uh, please feel free to go by and glean that and look at that on the website. Tonight, I, I want to do something a little bit different tonight. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 4 all the way through New King James Version. I think I've, uh, uh, anyway, I put another version in my, in my uh, notes. I don't think I put them on the notes online. Nonetheless, read that. But then I want to come back and just talk about the scheme of end time events. Just so as we go through the book of Revelation, you'll understand there's a pattern to things that are coming, I think you'll see it very clearly, and, uh, and we'll get through it a good time. So Revelation 4, verse 1, let's just read this. After these things, John says, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here, and I'll show you things which must, must take place after this. Immediately, he says, I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne. How many know God is the origin of the rainbow? And that rainbow stands for the eternal covenant that God has made with the human race. And you better never forget it. So it says around the throne... There were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. It's kind of a wild time, really. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and all around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. Now what that tells me is there are things in heaven we've never seen. And so it's kind of hard to describe something you've never seen. That's going to be unusual. Nonetheless, we may come back verse to verse and talk about some of this later, uh, another lesson. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. third living creature was like a um, uh, had the face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. They do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You know, around the throne of God, constantly there's worship. 
And you know, if you want that same presence in your life, if I want it on my life, how many know if we'll do what those angels do, we'll get that same presence? Because God is everywhere at all times. And so it says here, um, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So chapter 4 in Revelation kind of kind of begins a new uh, a new detail on on, uh, on what God showed John there on the Isle of Patmos and and a door was opened in heaven and and really from here through the rest of the book there's a sequential um, there's the sequential events that begin to occur and 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 what's going to be happening is with with Jesus' second coming. Uh, uh, he's going to be ridding the earth of all of the sin and rebellion elements. So we're going to talk about that in some detail here. But here chapter 4 establishes God as the overarching ruler, creator, sustainer, and owner of all things. When you read Revelation chapter 4, it's kind of a background theme that you can see in that. Next time we come back and we'll, we may go verse by verse and and look at some interesting things about Revelation chapter 4, just verse by verse. Then we'll go into chapter 5, and there's some really, really cool things in chapter 5 that, uh, that we want to talk about. Uh, before, before I do this, however, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set all that aside. We're in Revelation 4. We'll come back to it. But uh, just to give some clarity to where we're going, because we're going to go through Revelation 5, Revelation 6, 7, 8, through the rest of the book. And, and there's some things that will be happening and. You know, it's really good if you want to understand a book. Sometimes you just read through it and kind of get a gist of what the author's trying to say and understand the chapter sequences and stuff. Stuff. Then you go read through it again if you've got a book you're taking a course on. Then you go back and read it again. You get some more nuggets and such. So let's just get a bird's eye view perhaps to begin with of, of really what's going to be coming up. And there's several things that uh, I want to uh, uh, introduce tonight that maybe you've not thought about. And there's several things I want to, fa- uh, to say about that. The first thing I want to mention is that Jesus' coming is a singular event. Now, now you know, you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, well, well let me explain. There's a number of phases to Jesus' coming. And, and there's a word you can see in the notes there, parousia. It's used 29 times in nine, time, in nine New Testament books. And that word uh, uh, is a Greek word, and, and it conveys an idea of a person who's coming, but whose presence is with you the entire time he's coming. He's there. That is a person who comes, and his coming is sequential. There's several things that take place while he is coming. So, um, uh, so, so for instance, let's just say... Um, you know, I've, I've traveled a, a, a good bit, different places in the world on missions trips and such. And, and so let's just say uh, I'm talking to my wife on the phone and say, well, well, Susan, I can't wait. I've been, I've been, for instance, in Ethiopia. We have some churches there. So I've been in Ethiopia for a while. I'm, I, man, I've been missing your face every day. And so I'm going to get on a plane tomorrow and in Addis Ababa. And, and then I'm going to be flying to Dubai. And, and then there's a friend in Dubai that... Uh, I, I, I think I need to, you know, kind of meet with. So we're going to leave the airport and go to the city a little bit. I'm going to get a hotel for a day. 
and I'd meet with him, have some uh, conversation, may preach a little bit somewhere there. Then I'm getting back on the plane in Dubai, and then I'm, I'm going, and I'll mention maybe, maybe I'm, I'm flying back to Florida because there's another friend I've got to meet, and there I'm going to preach for two days, and then I'm going to get on the plane, and then I'm going to land in Raleigh-Durham, and I'm going to see you at the, at the luggage carousel. Now, I just said, Susan, I'm coming to see you. But there was a series of events before I got there. Does that make sense? So when, when you think about <clears throat> Jesus' second coming, understand it that way. It, it's, it's a singular event that combain, contains all kinds of things. The second coming of Christ. So think about it this way. With Jesus' first coming, you think of his, the announcement of his birth by the angel Gabriel to, to Mary, his mother, and, and, and then you think about Jesus being born there in Bethlehem. And, and then you think the next scene in Scripture you see is, is uh, Jesus talking to the, the teachers of the law. He was 12 years of age at his bar mitzvah. And, and then he goes through his teenage years. And, and then before you know it, he's 30 years old. And he's being baptized by John the Baptist. And, and then he's got three and a half years of, of public ministry. And, and, then he's, and then he's crucified on a cross, and, and then he's raised from the dead, and the stones rolled away from the tomb, and, and then and there in Jerusalem, he ascends to the Father. That's the first coming. You get it? So, so with Jesus' second coming, it's going to include all kinds of things. It's going to include, I've got it in the notes, look at that. It's going to include the rise of the Antichrist. He'll make a covenant. With, with some enemies of Israel at some point. It's going to include uh, some, birth, some birth pains that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. It's going, to, it's going to include the great tribulation that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 after the Antichrist desecrates the rebuilt Jewish temple. It's going to, it's going to include the resurrection of those who have died in Christ and, and your relatives and maybe your mom, your dad, your cousins, your other people that you've known, friends that are in heaven. They're going to rise from the dead. And the rapture of the church is going to occur after that. Isn't that awesome? All that's in the second coming of Christ. And then the day of the Lord. Most people don't know what that is. It's a time, a series of, of challenging judgments that include trumpet judgments and bold judgments. We'll talk about it in, in the weeks and months to come as we cover this book of Revelation. And, and, then, and then the second coming of Christ also includes, obviously, Jesus' physical return. He, he, he uh, judges his enemy, Satan's thrown into an abyss and, uh, for a thousand years and then is let loose. And then all of the unbelievers of all ages will appear before God at the great white throne judgment and be judged and be eternally thrown into a place called the lake of fire. Nobody listening to me wants to be there. That's the reason we preach the gospel because we know these things are coming and we don't want you to be there. And then Revelation 21 and 22, it shows a, a new heavens and a new earth and then we enter into eternity with God. That's the second coming of Christ. Isn't that awesome? So when you think about the second coming of Christ, you've got to think about all of that, all put together. You know, it's a singular coming with all kinds of different uh, nuances to it. So if you think about it that way, uh, it helps kind of gel it together. You can understand it uh, so much easily. And so there is a sequence of events to the second coming of Christ. Uh, let me talk about that. And I just uh, before I go any further, let me say this. Um, a lot of different... Um, Different views by a lot of really godly people about end time things. And I've, got, I've seen people get really angry 
when, when they talk about end time things and the rapture of the church, the timing of that and what's going to happen. And there's all kinds of views of, of the study of end time events. It's called eschatology. You know, if you study theology, and I've had many courses about that. And, um, you know, I, uh, for, I've been in the ministry for 38 years, and, and I've always preached what I've seen from Scripture. And, and if I see it, then, then I'll preach it. And uh, I've studied these things for a, a long time. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so um, I've just had some changes over the years as I've studied Jesus' return and what I can see that the Bible says. And so uh, let me say, first of all, before I say anything else, I'm not dogmatic about what I believe. I believe what I believe because I can see it in Scripture. But, you know, what I'm about to say, you may differ with me. And you know what? I love you, and, and I want you to feel free to disagree with me. But would you keep an open mind? And, and I know others may respond to some things I have to say with other ideas. I have an open mind, but here's what I do. I want to make sure I have Scripture, the consensus of Scripture, before I believe what I believe, and not just take it because somebody else said it. And that's really, really important. So... Um, that's something, you know, an epiphany, whatever. Uh, I've been studying uh, end-time things for 35 years or more, or in earnest 35 years. And for 25 years, man, I preached it strong a certain way. And 10 years ago, it was in 2010, I, I just had this thing come over, I, over me. I studied, started studying all over again. I have read so many books. I have read the Word over and over and over and over. But I began to read and something began to gnaw on the inside of me. And I had a sense that what I was preaching wasn't absolutely the way that it's going to be. And God began to deal with me. And he changed my idea about what the way things are. And literally, oh, March, April, May, June of 2010, I wept my eyeballs out by myself. I'd be studying, be reading my Bible. And, uh, and i say, God, Really? This is the way it is, and it's not what I've been preaching. And he said, yeah. And I had to go back to my congregation here. And I've been doing this for years now, and I had to say, you know what, y'all? I've been some preaching some things I can no longer preach because God changed my belief system about Jesus' return. And, you know, to begin with, people had big old saucer eyes like, really? I said, yeah, yeah. And they just listened to me, you know, real quietly. I've had people that disagreed with me. And then I found this out. Boy, people can get really upset uh, that you can kick somebody's sacred cow if you disagree with them about end time stuff. So, uh, you know, so I, I want to walk gingerly over these areas, but I want to really share from my heart about what I believe the scriptures teach. And again, feel free to disagree with me. Just find out what you want, what, what you believe the Bible says and believe it firmly. But be open. Just be open is what I ask you to do. So, um, so, uh, some things have changed on my views of, of Jesus' return. And, and the first one is the term, the tribulation. Now, now, now this, is a, this one for me was a really big shocker. This one, this one threw me to begin with. I thought, wow, this is just totally unbelievable. unbelievable. Uh, weeks passed. This is less than number 11. So, a number of weeks ago when I first started this series, I went back to the book of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel God gave Daniel, the prophet, a revelation of 490 years of Israel's existence from Daniel's time 
on into the future. And during Daniel's time was the time of the uh, Babylonian captivity when uh, Israel and Judah went into captivity for, uh, to Babylon and, and they were taken off of their land. And, and the reason for that is for the previous 490 years, they did not obey God and let the land rest and they were supposed to let it rest every seven years and they didn't do it. So what's 70 times 7? 490. For 490 years, every seven years, they're supposed to not plan anything. They didn't obey God. So God revealed to the prophet Jeremiah, and Daniel caught wind of that, and God spoke to him and said, uh, because Israel, God said to Jeremiah, because Israel hasn't obeyed me, they're going to be off their land for 70 years. They didn't obey that one-year Sabbath rest every seven years, so they're going to take it all at once. And that's Daniel's life. So what Daniel was praying, seeking God, he was an older man, This is Daniel chapter 9. God showed Daniel 490 years of Israel's future. And and it's kind of uncanny and strange, but in Daniel 9, God spoke to him and said there are 70 weeks of seven. Or or, or 70 sevens. 70 times seven is 490. That's how we get the math that God was... Telling Daniel about 490 years of Israel's history in the future. And the really uh, amazing thing is uh, 69 of those weeks have been fulfilled. I've talked about that in the past. I'm not going to back to address that again tonight. But there's, there's one week, one week of seven years that has not been fulfilled that God spoke to Daniel that has to do with God dealing with the Jewish race. And so I've had, you know, one of my first pastors that taught on end time events back in the 80s, he, he would say he, this way, and I agree with him. He said, you know, at some point, the world is going to go back to Jewish time. And God is going back, to, going back again, and he will address his, his people, the children of Israel, from which came our Savior, from which came the Ten Commandments, from which came all of the basic things that we believe in doctrine, they come from the Jewish race, and and uh, and so again, God's going to begin to deal with the uh, with the Israelites again. And and my former pastor said this, uh, Bob Yandin in Tulsa. He would say the du- Jewish clock will start ticking once again, click like you're clicking a stopwatch, and seven years will come to pass. That's where we get that that there's a thing called the tribulation, and it's seven years long. That's where people get that. But then the uncanny thing that I found out is there is not one, find it for me, there's not one scripture that, that says, that, that calls this seven-week period, the seven-year period that calls it the tribulation. Not one. Not one. Now, now that bothered me deeply because that's all I would call it. Well, the tribulation's coming. Better get ready. But it's spoken of by Jesus as the great tribulation. You get it? So that, that was, uh, was kind of uh, hit me between the eyes. There's another thing is the timing of the rapture. Now, this is the thing that got me and uh, that I really had to pray over, made me weep and cry. And I preached for years that Jesus is coming twice because, because that's, I read books. That's what people said. The problem is Jesus is coming quiet. He's coming first in the rapture of the church. And then seven years later, I preach it just that way. You can actually, I hope you can't, but I think you might be able to find it online. Where I said, 
Jesus coming back first, just before the seven-year period begins called the tribulation. Then he's coming back at that seventh year. And then he's coming back to rule and reign. And we'll be with him. Well, the problem with that is, the problem with it is, is that there's no scripture in the Bible that says the rapture is going to occur prior to this, this time period called the tribulation. And, I, you know, I, listen, can I just be real? I wouldn't even study about the, I wouldn't even study much about the Antichrist. I wouldn't study much about all the things that are going to happen because I thought, well, if we're not going to be here, I'm real pragmatic. If it's not going to concern me, shoot, I ain't messing with that. I'll be in heaven. And I told people that. The problem is you can't find one scripture. Now, now, now people use scriptures that they say allude to the fact that the rapture occurs prior to the seven-year period that God showed Daniel where the world reverts back to Jewish mind. You just can't find exact scripture for it. And uh, so anyway, I know when I say that, some of you may say, well, and you're going to write me things. I have a lot to say. Maybe I'll come back and address that at another time. Just wanted to make that point uh, tonight. Again, um, uh, again, the rapture, let me also say about the rapture, the rapture is not imminent. Now, that, that really upset me because I've heard all of my life that Jesus could come back at any time, that there are, no, there are no Old Testament or New Testament prophecies to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. And, uh, and, and so, it, so you better be ready to go. If you're bowling, drop the bowling ball. If you're playing golf, drop that thing because you're going up. So just be ready. Now, you know, it is, does have a purifying effect to think that Jesus is coming back. But the truth is, that's not true. That is, there are things that have to come to pass before the rapture occurs. So here's the consensus of some things that I want to share. If you'll go to the chart, can you show that? Look on, in your notes. I've got a chart here of the tribulation period. The tribulation period, um, seven years. And this is, this is the way I thought, and this is the way I've been taught and a thought for a long time so you got the tribulation then the midpoint the great tribulation the antichrist signs the covenant to begin that seven years and uh and then when that covenant is signed this is what i heard and what i i've preached once that covenant signed we're out of here the rapture occurs and uh, we won't be here during the reign of the antichrist and then if you'll uh if you'll put the next one on the screen the chart of the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, here's the reason that I thought that way. And uh, a lot of people believe this. A lot of really good people. Uh, a lot of wonderful uh, teachers and preachers believe this. I just see it a little bit different now. The reason uh, that I thought this way was that whole time, if you'll look at that chart that you see, the whole time, that seven-year period uh, that, that we're awaiting to be fulfilled that Daniel saw, that we commonly call the tribulation, I was always taught that whole period's God's wrath. And since the Bible says in two places, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and one other location in Scripture, that God's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain mercy by our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we're immune from the wrath of God, then that means we're immune from those seven years that God showed Daniel, commonly called the tribulation. So we won't be here because that's a time of God's wrath. Well, the truth is that whole thing is not the time of God's wrath. But here's the chart. This is what's commonly believed in the United States. And let me take a moment here and say this. 
Um, this is a belief system that is widely held among conservative believers in America. Uh, it's not held in other parts of the world. I mean, you go to Africa, Europe, uh, Canada, uh, other parts of the world. They don't believe it the way we do in America. This is an unusual belief system, and it's fairly new. In the 1830s, uh, this belief system came about that the church is going to be raptured when, when a peace treaty is signed with the Antichrist and then that seven years happens. If you go do some research in church history, and at the very end of the notes, you don't have to go there yet, end of the notes that I gave you today, I've got some quotes by the Anti-Nicene Fathers, some of the early church fathers. The majority of the early church fathers had a belief system that the church needs to prepare itself because we're going to go through this, this really hard time when the Antichrist reveals himself and there would be some fairly serious persecution of Jews and Christians during that time. Most of the early church believed that and then, you know, people that we esteem highly in the Lord and highly in faith over the last several hundred years. I've got a whole list of names. Go look at the names at the end of this document later. You'll be amazed at the people that, you, uh, that you've heard of in history who believe the very things that I'm about to share with you here, who didn't believe that the church was immune from all of this entire seven-year period. So uh, anyway, we call this the tribulate, pre-tribulation rapture view. I have changed my ideas about this because I understand something different about the wrath of God and when it happens. It's not that entire time. When I saw that, it really changed, and I saw in Scripture clearly what is going to be happening. So um, I'm going to skip on down in my notes here. There's, there's, if you'll go to the very last, uh, last chart, the pre-wrath rapture of the church. What I've studied out and what we're going to be seeing in the book of Revelation, I'll show you really clearly as we get through Revelation 6, 7, 8 particularly. You're going to see a sequence, and then we're going to go back to Matthew 24 and look at that as well. You're going to see a sequence of events that seems to show that the rapture doesn't occur before this seven-year period, but it happens somewhere in the middle or, or, or maybe just a little past midways of that period, and the best way that it can be described is a pre-wrath rapture. See, God, how many know Jesus incurred the wrath of God for us? God's not appointed unto us under wrath. Jesus took God's wrath for us. He took God's wrath for our sins. So this time that's coming up on the earth of judgment, it's a time of the wrath of God. And since we're immune to that, and we're, I, I don't believe we're going to be here. We'll look at that in the in the weeks to come as we study this lesson clearly. But uh, as we look at this, there are, in, in Jesus' return, there are three distinct phases that I want you to see. And it's, it's uh, described on this pre-wrath chart here. Again, at the top it says Daniel's 70th week. I want to slow down a little bit here. If you look at the bottom left, we're in the church age right now, the very close of the church age. And the beginning of the Jewish time on earth when God begins to deal with the Jews again, uh, some kind of a treaty will be made between, between the Jews and their enemies. Perhaps it's the Palestinians, the Arab world. We don't know what that is yet, and I'm not going to speculate yet. We could. Uh, but when that happens, it's a signal to us that that seven-year period is starting. Now, there's a lot of people that believe we're going to be whisked out of here when that happens. So can I just say 
if that doesn't happen, tune in. Because I got some things to share. Uh, because it may be happening another way. So nonetheless, the first part of that seven-year period that God showed Daniel, there it is on the chart, uh, Jesus called the beginning of sorrows in Matthew chapter 24, I think it's verses 4 through 8 or so, or so. It's called the beginning of sorrows, and it's a parallel time to what the book of Revelation, what God shows John in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 6. And so... Uh, the beginning of sorrows is that first part. And that's where the Antichrist is here. He's in the Middle East. We don't know if this is going to affect the United States or not. Let me say something about Bible prophecy. We often look at the Bible through the lens of American culture. The Bible is not a Western book. The Bible is not an American book. The Bible is an Eastern book. Uh, the Bible was written the Bible is written for all of us, but when you're talking about end-time things, I, I know America kind of leads the world in everything today, but the Bible is not about America. Some people say, well, why was America not in Bible prophecy? Well, well, it has nothing to do with the West. It has to do with God dealing with His people Israel in the Middle East. The Bible is Jerusalem-centric, Israel-centric. It, it revolves around that, not us. I mean, sometimes we're so proud, we think everything revolves around us. Get off my high horse if I think that way, right? You know? So anyway, um, the beginning of sorrows, the Antichrist, he makes a peace treaty with Israel, and, and, and there's a semblance of peace between them and, and their, their neighbors, the Arab neighbors, for a period of time. Uh, and during that time, it seems as though the Jewish temple will, will be rebuilt and I'll get back into this later. I'm not going to go into great detail right now. But just to say that, that, that Antichrist is going to do what happened in history in 186 B.C. when Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the Jewish temple by slaughtering a pig. How many know that Jews don't eat pig? Pork. They don't like it. They think it's an unclean animal. Well, he slaughtered a pig and then, and then put a pagan statue up with his head on top. Statue of Zeus, and then, then, and then put, he's going to be the big ruler, big dog. And it, it desecrated the Jewish temple. The Antichrist is going to do something similar, and it's kind of got a strange name that we don't understand, the abomination that causes desolation. So Jesus talked about that in Matthew 24. And really, that's the time that the Antichrist, he was a friend of Israel. Suddenly, he turncoats and says, I'm not your friend anymore. Listen to me and listen carefully. And he begins to kill Jews at that time in large numbers, and then there's a huge persecution of believers. The elect in Matthew 24, and we'll look at it later, are believers. He begins to persecute believers on a large scale. This may be confined to the Middle East. People have questions about this. Um, it, it may go further in the world than that. Uh, the Antichrist may rule the Middle East, or it's according to what the nations of the world choose to do with their leadership and, and such. It may spread to other places. Those are things that, that we really don't know. Some people have a belief system that's just going to be confined to the Middle East. Some people think this hard time, uh, this Daniel's seven years, uh, this, this 70th week of Daniel, these seven years they left, that it only, only deals with the Middle East. Other believe, others believe it affects the whole world. Uh, will it affect America? Uh, you know, we really don't know to some degree. The Antichrist is going to be a, a military leader. He's going to be a spiritual leader as well as, um, as a political leader. And so uh, the nations that let their borders down 
and uh, nations that don't protect themselves from these things. They have ideologies that would be assumed into a one world kind of a thing. They may acquiesce to this. Will the United States? It's according to what we do. It's according to what our leadership does. That's why we need to pray. We need to be salt. We need to be light. You need to be at the voting booth. So enough said about that. Midway, uh, the Antichrist uh, reveals himself uh, as, as, a, as a man that's really, really mean. And then that's called the Great Tribulation. And that's going to last for a period of time. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, unless those days were, 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 were shortened, no believing flesh, the uh, King James says, elect. You go look it up, it says, people who believe. It's talking about Christians or Jews would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, that time period shortened. And then right after that, <coughs> the Bible says this, and we're going to talk about this in Revelation 6. The sun is darkened, the moon is darkened, the stars no longer give their light. Cosmic disturbances happen in the heavens. So much so that everybody goes out one day and they're expecting the sun to come up and say, mighty dark out here. And, and then, and then at, at all day long it's dark. And then at night, well, where's the moon? Uh, where's the stars? Cosmic disturbances. It gets everybody's attention. And then Jesus said in Matthew 24, go read it, 29 through 31, Jesus comes back. That is the rapture of the church, my friends. So you've got the beginning of sorrows, the great tribulation. Look at the chart there. Right before that, the abomination of desolation in that little box there. And then the next thing after the rapture of the church is the day of the Lord. And most believers have no clue what the day of the Lord is. The day of the Lord is when the wrath of God begins against the rebellion of Satan, the unbelief of man, and the sinfulness of humanity. That's when it begins. We'll talk about that when we get to Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. There's silence in heaven for 30 minutes. The angels fold their wings. And all of the prayers of all of the ages in Revelation 8, 1 and 2 waft up before, before God's throne. All of the believers, all the way from Old Testament, New Testament, where people have prayed, Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, let your will be done. God hears those prayers. They waft up before him. The angels don't know what to do. And they're quiet because they know something forebodings about to happen. At this time, believers will not be on earth. The rapture will have occurred. And then, and then there are judgments there are seven trumpet judgments. You can read about them in Revelation 8, 9, 10. And, and then there are bowl judgments spoken of in Revelation chapter 16. Both of these judgments have to do with the day of the Lord. Both Old and New Testament is very clear that the day of the Lord is a very foreboding time. We're going to cover this. There's a lot of scripture about this. Most people have never heard this because you don't hear a lot of pastors teaching about this. Let me tell you, as we conclude where we are, we are, we are right at the close of an age, an age that started when Jesus was raised from the dead and, and when the disciples made Jesus Lord right, right after he was resurrected from death. When the church age began, the age of grace came. We're now at the very close of the age of grace. About 2,000 years, we summarize and say, 2,000 years, and, and the next age that is to come, it's going to be a time of the wrath of God. It'll be a time of divine judgment. 
Because you know what people have the idea of? You know, God's just kind of, you can do anything you want to do, and God's just got like Santa Claus in the sky. He just winks at it when we do wrong. No, there is a judgment, and there is a justice side to God's love. And, and what's coming next on the earth, we're going to see it very clearly, is the wrath of God being poured out on the sinfulness of man. And, and, and you know what? You don't have to be here during that time. There will be people that are so stubborn that they refuse to believe that Jesus is Lord, that he's the Savior of the world, that he died for their sins. They won't believe the gospel, and they will be here during this treacherous, treacherous time of God's wrath called the day of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the fact that Jesus is going to whisk the church away before that happens. So aren't you excited about that? So anyway, those are, you look at this chart, and I'll make sure that it's online. I've got it in the notes uh, that I've presented to my staff team. We'll make sure that we put that on our website this week, and you can clearly see these charts. I actually called where I got these charts uh, from a ministry in Florida and got permission to put these on the notes. So uh, I'll make sure you th- see these. Go back through my notes and look at this. I have a kind of have a... a, a an epi- uh, appendix there at the end, and, and I give you the scriptures about Jesus coming being a singular event. Then I give you some quotes from, uh, from some of the early church fathers at the very end of these notes today. And then there's a, just a bunch of names of Christian leaders over the last several hundred years who have believed <coughs> in what I'm just talking, that we're going to be here for a period of time uh, when the Antichrist is first revealed, and then we're going to be whisked away before the day of the Lord and the wrath of God comes. Understand again, let me say it this way as a close. You know, the first part of that seven years that God revealed to Daniel, uh, it's not the wrath of God, it's the wrath of the Antichrist. The Bible says that we're not immune from the wrath of man. You know, we're going to be persecuted for our faith. Go read the Gospels. Go read the Epistles. It's clear that one of the things that we must endure as Christians is persecution Because of what we believe, nothing in the Bible says that we are immune from human persecution. Nothing, not one thing. But American believers, we've had this pie in the sky. Let me say it. We've had a pie in the sky idea that God's not appointed us to wrath. What about the people in the rest of the world? Y'all, for the last five or six years in my prayer life, I've prayed for those that God gives martyr grace. There are people in other lands who are literally on the front the front lines of the body of Christ because they're being assaulted by that spirit of Antichrist today. And their lives are on the line, on the line. And, 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 and Jesus said it. They love not their lives even unto death. What about them? Well, what about what about them? They're being persecuted. They're enduring hardship. Do, do we are we so proud? in America to think that just because we're Americans that, that, that no persecution can come our way, no hardship can come our way because some human disagrees with us. Friends, that is ultimate base pride and we need to humble ourselves. This first part of the tribulation time, this, uh, of the 70 years of Daniel, we commonly call the tribulation, it's the wrath of the Antichrist. We, we will have to go through that. You know, we've got, we may have to deal with the mark of the beast when it comes. I'll talk about that in Revelation 13. I don't know, but I do know that difficult things are coming. And God wants to prepare us for them. Before the worst comes, before God's wrath comes, before the day of the Lord comes, thank God for the rapture of the church.
Thank God for the catching away of the saints. So, you know, it could be today, like this thing we're dealing with worldwide as a close. You know, this could just be a, a small, 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 small preview of things that are coming on the earth. Look at how people are, are responding now to the challenges we face in our culture. That's why I tell you, you know, the best thing that we can do to prepare for the future now is to be men and women of faith. Feed on the Word. Get your faith built up. Establish yourself in a, in a really good prayer life. Know how to reach the Father in prayer. And, uh, and, and then I say be real practical, you know. Uh, you know, get you, some, get you a way to take care of your family. Right now the grocery stores are empty. The shelves are empty. empty. Buy some, buy some, uh, some uh, non-perishable food items and keep them at home. You know, there may be a hurricane, a tornado, or whatever. Maybe a natural event or something like this that curtails your ability to buy food. We're living in a different time. It's an interesting time. I believe we're living in the time just before a lot of crazy things begin to happen. We're going to begin to see them. You know what? God's not left us without great warning and help. So as we go through the book of Revelation, you're going to be surprised to see some of the things that are coming. Y'all, the world is not ready for this. That's the reason we need to pray. And that's the reason we need to, to minister life through God's word to people and love them and let our light shine to them and, and, have, and, and, and shed tears of compassion and prayer for the people that you know that don't know the Lord because Jesus is coming one day and nobody but nobody wants to be left behind. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us your word. These are sobering things we read about. Thank you for your promises. When I read these things, it tells me that you love me that you've made provision for me, for all of us. The Lord, regardless of what's coming in the earth, you've made a way of escape for us. Lord, even if persecution comes our way, you've made a way for us to endure and endure it positively and let our light shine and be a beacon of light to the people that are in darkness. And Lord, I just give thanks for every person that's uh, listening tonight, watching tonight. I pray that the grace of God covers every home listening to this message tonight. If there's any person, Father, that is listening to this message, they don't know Jesus as Lord. Uh, maybe it's a person that's known you years ago, but right now they're not walking with you. Draw them back to yourself. Maybe someone's watching and they've never been born again. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let every person that hears my voice right now that doesn't know you let conviction come draw them to you friend as we close if you're if you're watching and, and, and listen you know you're not right with God and you know you're not and you know the conviction of the Holy Spirit is drawing you you know the Apostle Paul said if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead you can be saved with the heart you believe and with your mouth when you say Jesus come into my life Salvation comes into your life too. If you'd like to, you can pray with me wherever you are. Just drop what you're doing right now. How about close your eyes with me and pray with me out loud if that's you. You need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you've never known, known the Lord. You want your sins forgiven. A, a new, fresh relationship with God helps you dispel fear, helps you prepare for the future. Pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, that's right. Heavenly Father, pray it out loud. In the name of Jesus. I've sinned. I ask forgiveness. And I repent for the way I've been living my life. I give my will 
into your hands. Jesus, come into my life and change me and, and, and make me a new person. Give me new interests and desires inside. Beginning today, I'm going to walk with you. I give you control of me. And I say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. And I just thank you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.